Need. <clears throat> we'll be in both places. So what we've been doing is, is looking at basic Christianity that was promised and foretold in Psalm 110. And so today we're going to look at specifically Jesus' ascension. You know, what does it mean to say, in the, like as Christians have said for centuries, that Jesus ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty? What does that mean? And why should you care tomorrow? What difference does it make? And that's, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to read Psalm 110, uh, Jesus at God's right hand, and then we'll look at Acts 1, the historical events that took place, and then we'll pray. So hear now God's word. Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion, your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And I'm going to turn over to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles to whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken to us in love. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, our hearts are restless and as, until we find our rest in you. And so we pray that, that Jesus, you would do that today. Uh, that as you love us, protect us, guide us, defend us, um, lead us into your rest. And so Holy Spirit, show us Jesus who is our life. Raise up our affections to, to love Jesus more and to rise up um, willing and ready from now on to follow our crucified, buried resurrected and ascended King, Jesus himself. And so we ask in his name for help. In Jesus' name, amen.
So what we just read is the apostles saying goodbye to their Savior, to the man that they love deeply. And you know, I, my life personally has been shaped by a lot of goodbyes. I am 38 years old, and I, I'm, I should have confirmed this with my mother, but I'm pretty sure I've never lived in one place more than four years. Um, it just means my life has been shaped by a lot of goodbyes. Right? Some more painful than others. The older you get, the more attached you get to people. And uh, as I grew up and said goodbye a, a lot with my siblings, right, we all respond to, to goodbyes differently. Uh, some of us got angry, <laughs> right? Because life was good. Why do we have to go through this? But at some point, just loneliness and grief and frustration settles in, as St. As Augustine put it really well, about what it's like to lose, lose someone you love. He says, I just don't want to live my life anymore as half. Half of me died when I said goodbye. And so you look at our passage when the disciples said goodbye to Jesus ascending into heaven. Right? I mean, that they've, they're experiencing a goodbye. Multiple. I mean, they've already had their hearts torn in grief as they watched their Savior be crucified. Jesus rose again, and their hearts were exploding with love for their risen King as their misery was turned to melody, they, their sorrow was turned to joy. And here they are, 40 days after the resurrection, and they have to say goodbye again. And what's fascinating is here they're stuck staring at heaven, and they're told to go be about the work that Jesus had told you to do. Go be, go be his witnesses. But the same writer of Acts uh, is Luke, and at the end of Luke, it says that when Jesus disappeared from their view, that all of a sudden they realized what happened. Uh, the, the light bulb turned on, so to speak. And they didn't leave sad, they didn't leave angry, they didn't leave lonely. They ran home rejoicing, back to Jerusalem, praising God. They couldn't stop praising God daily while they waited for the Holy Spirit to come. And that was even before the Spirit of joy filled them. So I think it's fair to say that when they saw the ascension of Jesus, that when they said goodbye to Jesus, they didn't become less, they actually became more. They became more whole. And the source of their joy was saying goodbye, to watch Jesus disappear behind a cloud into heaven. And so... I, I don't know how many sermons you've heard about the Ascension in particular, but if you were reading this, this is a historical event, and that historical event of Jesus going from earth back to heaven uh, to, to sit next to God in, in the heavenly throne room, well, you know the story, it forever changed the disciples. Ultimately, it changed the whole world. They were launched on Monday back with a, a, a different kind of joy, a different way of seeing everything. All because Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And I, I, don't, I know I don't think of the ascension I, uh, as often. It's not, it should be talked about more, I'll just say it that way. Right? Because we celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas. We remember the crucifixion on Good Friday. We relive the joy of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And yet, I, we, there is an Ascension Day in the church calendar, but we just don't talk about it that much. And it's, it's actually, I think, disconnecting Jesus from his benefits. And so this is going to be really helpful, I think, as we, we look at this. So think of Jesus' perfect life 
and his death on one hand as a chain, right? His life, his death, his resurrection, everything he did on earth. You have this chain over here. And then you have all of Jesus' benefits, the forgiveness of sins, uh, being able to run into God's throne room and in prayer at any time, at any place, of being justified, of being declared perfect, though you're not perfect yet, of everything that Jesus is for you, and then here we are. What connects Jesus, his benefits to us, is this event, Jesus' ascension. If you don't think about the ascension, it's going to disconnect you. Right, so Tim Keller would say, it makes, just like it makes no sense to build a bomb, to blow up a mountain, to build a road, and then never use a detonator, right, it makes no sense to talk about the, the life of Jesus and all of his benefits without ever talking about the ascension. Because the ascension is the detonator that, it, that unleashed the power of the gospel across the world. If I could put it this way, the perfect life of Jesus is of no use to you and to me. Without this event, without Jesus going up into heaven and then sending his spirit onto his people. And so if I can put it this way, I'm trying to get you, draw you in. I'm trying to get you to see you need to, to lean into this truth. That Jesus' ascension in the, in the book of Acts, described by eyewitnesses in historical terms, uh, this is going to connect you more intimately to the person of Jesus as he is right now. It'll unleash the power of the gospel in your life. And so we got to see how that works. And so let's, let's jump in. First, I want to talk about the power of the ascension, uh, the power of Jesus' ascension. In verses 1 to 3, it says, Jesus spent 40 days after the resurrection offering proofs that he was alive. Uh, we know he was eating and drinking. He was being hugged. Uh, he was doing all those things you want to do with your loved ones when you see them again in the new heavens and new earth who are there in Christ. Right? But he also spent that time teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God, about really about how to read the Bible, about how to connect what, what Jesus did with God's promises like places in Psalm 110. Because right? then it says, in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then a cloud came up and carried Jesus out of sight. And this is what I would do, is saying, what, what just happened? They're just standing there staring. And two angels come and say, what are you doing? Why are you standing there? This Jesus who was taken from you will come back in the very same way you saw him, which is another translation of saying, what are you doing? He told you to do something. Go do it. <laughs> Don't just stand there. He'll come back. You'll see him again. Right? And as we talked about, in Luke 24, 52, they got the message, and it says they, they exploded with megaton joy. It's this mega joy. They just, they, their whole being just was overcome with an awareness of what Jesus had just done. And so they went back to Jerusalem to wait for the Spirit. And then they were launched on a mission that changed the world. And so here's what I want you to see, is that the power of Jesus' ascension... If Jesus going into heaven, if, if a painful goodbye of, of seeing him going away is actually a joyful event, it's promising that you, get, you have an identity in Jesus that no goodbye can take away if your life is in him, seated in heaven. 
Right? That, that because Jesus is in heaven right now, no suffering, no loss can take away that joyful reality that Jesus is Lord and you are found in him. Right? So just sit on that for a second. Do you have that kind of identity? Because that's what life does. It's full of goodbyes. It's full of just staring at what you can no longer see that you wish you could see. Do you have a joy that works as an anchor for your soul, a joy that will keep you afloat in the midst of whatever storm you're going through, a a confidence? Well, Stephen, later in Acts, when he he is being hated, he is being persecuted, he is being crushed, literally being, he's having rocks thrown at him until he is dead. He looks at the ascended Jesus, and he is able to say, Father, forgive them. (laughs) Father, forgive them. See, Augustine put it this way, that uh, he said, Jesus, you ascended before our very eyes, and we turned back grieving, but then we found you in our hearts. We found you more fully because you went, went away. Meaning it seemed awful for the disciples to have to say goodbye, but when Jesus went up into heaven and disappeared behind that cloud, uh, they found him more fully and, and more personally. And so the ascension is this reality for Christians, that it's better for you that Jesus went up into heaven than staying on the earth in Jerusalem. You can experience him even now because he, he as a body, is sitting and went up into heaven. So look at the scene. I mean... How many people, if Jesus just stayed on earth, would have access to his presence and his work? How many people would know that Jesus died for their sins, that every deed has been forgiven, that Jesus is alive, that the new creation is coming, everything that the gospel is? How many people would hear that news from Jesus? I mean, in the 40 days after the resurrection, it's not many. The biggest crowd we hear about is 500. We don't really know how many people are here watching Jesus disappear behind the cloud. It's the apostles, some of the women, probably Jesus' mother. But the point is, is if Jesus as a human being stayed on earth in one particular place, he could only be in one particular place at one particular time. But with Jesus going up into heaven, sitting at God's right hand, he can send his spirit, his presence, his power to come down on his followers and anywhere they go then in the globe, anyone can have access to Jesus. That Jesus and all of his benefits are available to anyone, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their location on the globe, all because Jesus disappeared from view and sits in heaven on God's throne. You see that? See, the ascension is gain. It wasn't a loss. It was a well, it's a magnification of Jesus' power, the ability to, to bless not just a handful of people in one particular place in one particular time, but to build his church in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right. And so that's, that's what Psalm 110 promised. Jesus is going to go sit at the right hand of God. So that work of Jesus being your priest and your king began right here in Acts chapter 1. So, 
It's the moment the disciples get what just happened. That's when they go home exploding with joy. Right? They figure out that the power of Jesus is being given to them. The presence of Jesus is being given to them. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will be theirs. Uh, the, the same spirit that Jesus raised the dead, that he gave sight to the blind, that, he, that gave him his spirit of wisdom and understanding, they heard Jesus saying, that will be yours. And then they can remember the things he said before, that you will do greater things than I did. <laughs> See, the ascension launched the disciples into this whole new way of living life, a joy that could not be taken from them, an identity that could not be crushed because of where Jesus is. Do you believe that? <laughs> Jesus told you, it's in John 16, it's for your advantage that I go away. It's better for you to have the Spirit, the Helper, with you. And so, we need the power of the ascension. For the Christian, the ascension is the explosive news that Jesus, this, you, can, you can relate to the same person that you read about in the Gospels right now because of where he is. Right. And that, that no, you are launched into the world with power, purpose, joy, confidence. No amount of loss or suffering can take that away from you if your life is in him, seated at the right hand of God. Have you tapped into that? Peter would go on to say in 1 Peter chapter 1 that though you do not yet see him, you love him. And we rejoice now with a joy that is inexpressible as we wait for Jesus to bring his final salvation down to earth. So how does this work? Right, what actually happened? What is it? I keep saying that word ascension. That's a technical term. What does that mean? So point two... Where did Jesus go? <laughs> That's what the disciples are staring at. They're looking up. And just imagine if it was me here, and all of a sudden a cloud showed up and I just disappeared, right? It would freak everyone out. Say, what just happened? What did I just witness? You know, it sounds like the language of the ascension of Jesus floating up into the sky, into space. Maybe he's on a planet somewhere. Or like Ezra, when he loses a balloon, we told him it's, it's playing on the moon, <laughs> right? What does it mean to be ascended? And if you remember Psalm 110.1 that we read, it said that there is a king who will sit on God's throne. So an ascension is a coronation word. It's, a, it's about uh, something, it's about a place, but it's a coronation word. It's Jesus going up to sit on the throne that God prepared for him. It's God saying to Jesus, well done, you are worthy. You, you now have all authority in heaven and on earth. Sit and rule the world from here, right? So the ascension is, is not a literal going up like into space, it's, it's, a, it's his coronation, it's the beginning of his rule from heaven, ruling earth from, where, from that throne. And so Jesus went to a different realm, you can't see him. You know, it's, it's like, but it's close enough like looking through a cloud. <laughs> you know, heaven and earth are a lot more connected than we tend to think. So you're supposed to picture Jesus who went, and, and it says that you will see him again in the same way. You're picturing Jesus, a human being, sitting in heaven with nail-pierced hands. He's still breathing oxygen. If he's human, he needs to breathe. He still has that same blood pumping through his veins, the blood that brought us peace with God. He is, he is fully human, sitting in heaven, 
ruling and representing us. Right? And so it's telling you that Jesus went from humiliation and God raised him up. A cloud came and, and carried him to the place of honor, to a place of exaltation. Right? I mean, I think we've seen images of this before in different stories and, and you know, back when they had kings. The throne is always high, higher than the common people, right? And so if this, if this was a throne room, there'd be the chair up here, and, and the, the one who's to come take authority would step up the stairs to sit on the throne, and then he would then take charge. That's the picture you're supposed to get here. When Jesus goes into the cloud and sits down at God's right hand. Right. So, let me pause there. Right, this is a lot of information. What is this telling you? Because we live in a spiritual age that doesn't like to be specific about God, about who he is, and our ability to relate to him. You know, it's, it, there's, there's some kind of attraction to a power out there that's mysterious, that'll be for you, and that'll help you become a better person. All these things. I want you to feel and see and taste the difference of what Acts is claiming. Right? This is something historical. This is something personal. That the ascension of Jesus is telling you you can relate to God through a particular person in a particular way, and that there is somebody who is in charge ruling everything. It's not vague at all, it's specific. Right? He's not a nameless, shapeless, unknown power or a force, it's a person who's sitting on a throne with a body that you could talk to the way I'm talking to you. And so, if you want to picture the ascension as the, the culmination, the climax of joy, um, what everyone longs for, of, of, of having a king who actually cares about me, <laughs> having a God who actually pays any attention to me. Right? The, the, the culmination of the, the gospel story is that the God, the author of creation, wrote himself into human history out of love for sinners in order to be known, in order to be seen, in order to interact and to rescue, as we talked about with the kids, so that you can relate to him. He wrote himself in. That's how you relate. It, you know, the, it's really weird to think about, but it's thinking about like an author writing themselves into a story. They get to know all the characters, and then they write themselves back out. And then the characters in the story continue to talk about that person. Right? That's human history. Jesus came. He came in, and we can still talk to him. Jesus, the God-man, sits on a throne in heaven. All right. So, what, what are the benefits of, of thinking about it like this? What is, what is Acts getting you to wrestle with? And, and the, the church has always said the reason to talk about the ascension is, one, it really happened. <laughs> They're not making this up. There were people there, and they wrote it down for you. That's why it starts with, in the first book, O Theophilus, they're writing down, uh, Luke the historian is telling someone else. This is what happened. But the other side of this, uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism will say the, the reason to think about this is to raise the, your affections to where Jesus is. Right? This is theology that's aimed at you and your heart. Uh, what you love. 
what you care about most. Right, so here's an imperfect, I know this is an imperfect illustration, but this week I got a, a package in the mail from Uganda. It's a, a, two, two samples of unroasted coffee beans from a friend that I met in my travels. And it, it was a physical reminder of someone else thinking of me, right? Of, of this friend that, who I, who's in another world that I cannot see right now, <laughs> another realm, Uganda, Africa, sent me a package. It's a beautiful thing when someone else does that, when they remember you. See, when Jesus physically ascended into heaven, it's kind of like that, but so much more personal because he's taken your nature with him. <laughs> he's taken you with him. We're talking about being united to him. Right? This is the mystery of the incarnation, but if Jesus went and will come back in the same way you saw him go, you have God the Son, humbly as a human, who came down to earth, who now went up and is physically embodied. <laughs> and he has two realms, heaven and earth, connected to him as a person. Right? He's God, he's truly God and truly man. They're forever joined together. And though Jesus' physical body is on, in heaven, he is spiritually and physically claiming authority over every square inch that you can see. And, it, you know, even though he's this exalted king, because he has your human nature, you know where his love and his affection and his attention is? It's here on earth with his people, with his witnesses. Huh. Right? It, so this is... That's what I'm saying. This is a much more personal spirituality than anything you will ever find. That Jesus ascended, our Lord and King, armed with all authority in heaven and earth. He is ruling and reigning for you. It's, it's the care and kindness of a great physician that we saw on earth now having the power to, to do that for individuals no matter where you are, for you. Do you see that? If he is in heaven and on earth as a body, he has physically connected to you, even as he is spiritually connected to you because he sends you his spirit. I'm trying to describe a mystery here because you are united with Christ in heaven. But that's, that's what the scriptures will go on to say. That when Jesus went up into heaven, you know what? He took you with him. <laughs> so look there. Raise up the affections of your heart there to see that you live here on earth and it feels like you're a nobody. But you're seated right next to Jesus in the heavenly throne room. You have royal authority. <laughs> you are significant. You are important. Okay. Pretty astounding. So Jesus is king, sitting in heaven. He's been, he's been crowned king by his father. And see, now because of where he is, you can trust that he will work all things out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. He's a king. And so here's my challenge as you wrestle with this. And if, if this isn't making sense, come find me. <laughs> but it's telling you, because Jesus is personally up there, you can relate to the same person you read about in the Gospels. And so my challenge to you is to go back and read, read the Gospel of Mark and say the same person who, who sees and has compassion is the person I pray to. It's the person who died on the cross for me. It's the ascension is holding all that together. All right, so you remember uh, Luke chapter 7. 
when Jesus comes to the funeral of an only son and the, the procession of this, this funeral is led by a woman, the widow, the one who's grieving. And she's leading the procession of the funeral because in the ancient world, women were blamed for death being in the world. They, they were there to show that, like Eve, right, Eve brought death into the world when she disobeyed. And so Jesus comes across this funeral procession uh, this poor woman has lost her only son, her social security, her future, her, her retirement. She has nothing. And you know what we're told about Jesus? This is the way he rules right now. He, in a crowd of like 500 people, he looked at her, he saw her, and he had compassion. And then he drew near to her, <laughs> and he told her, don't cry. And then he moved and went and touched the dead body. He raised the son from the dead and he carried this boy personally in love back to this woman. See, that kind of embodied compassion of someone who looks at a grieving widow and in a crowd of hundreds says, I care about you and your suffering. Your suffering is significant. That's the same one who's sitting in heaven right now. Because as you saw him, you will see him again. So, if you get this, because of the ascension, you're going to realize this is why Jesus' grace has intersected and, and, and changed lives in China, in Africa, here in Balsam Spa. Right? It's all because Jesus has sent his spirit to change the world. He's poured it down. He started a new creation through embodied people like us to make them witnesses. So, what is Jesus doing right now? Right, we've seen it, this is a powerful thing. This is Jesus' ascension. It's personal. There's a lot of things we could talk about, but right, Jesus is a king. He is a priest. We've talked about this the last few weeks. Uh, check out the sermons online. What we see here in Acts chapter 1, what he's doing is he's still teaching. He's teaching us as prophet. Traditionally, we talk about Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. Right, so I'm going to focus on the prophet because we've talked about priest and king a lot. Because Acts 1, it says, in verse 1, O Theophilus, I have dealt with in the first book all that Jesus began to do and teach. Right, so if you think of the Gospel of Luke, here's what Jesus did and began to do. What Acts is about is what Jesus continued to do. But only this time, it's through the apostles. It's through the work of the Spirit. It's still Jesus teaching. That's the implication. All right? And so what, Jesus, what is Jesus doing when he sits in heaven? He's still teaching each and every one of us in this room, personally. <laughs> All right, so John 10, for example, describes Jesus as a loving shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they must listen to my voice. <laughs> so Jesus, looking to the future, says, there will be people that will hear my voice. I, he's talking about Christians, not in Jerusalem, <laughs> still hearing his voice. Right? And so, Jesus right now, one of the things he is doing, he is a prophet, and as a human being, he could only speak to so many people because he can't yell and have people on the other side of the ocean hear him. Because he was human. 
But when he went up into heaven and sent his spirit, he can continue to teach everybody in the church. He can reach anyone and everyone with the gospel. And the way the New Testament talks about it, this is amazing. Right, so Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the Ephesians. Ephesus is in Tur- like modern-day Asia, nowhere near Jerusalem. <laughs> and Ephesians chapter 2 says, Jesus came and preached peace to you. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and all who are near. Which is so strange to say, because he was never there. Only Paul was. Paul, the representative of Jesus. So it's telling you, because Jesus is sitting on the throne and he's a prophet, and he has spirit-empowered witnesses, he's still teaching. That Paul, when he taught, it was like Jesus himself being in the room telling you what's true preaching the gospel. That's what it means to be a witness of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus teaching you in order to teach others as his witnesses. He's continuing his prophetic ministry. Right. So, that's how we're going to end here. Um, how does this work itself out? Well, Jesus, at, in, Jesus while he was... Uh, Still alive, he taught his apostles how to read the scriptures, right? I mean, if you want to say, how does Jesus teach you? Right here, right now, as the ascended Lord, open the scriptures. (laughs) Read your Bible. It's like the voice of Jesus speaking to you right now. But you also, I too, right? I've I've been, everybody has to be taught how to read this thing. It's, It's simple enough a child can get it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, will not perish and have everlasting life. A child can understand that. But to read the whole thing as Jesus teaching you about him and what, he was, what was promised he would do and then what he f- was fulfilled in him, we need taught. Right? So Luke 24, it says, this is, what you do. this is how you read it. Luke 24, 44, everything about Jesus, he's, everything about me and the law of the prophets and writings must be fulfilled. And here's what he did. Jesus, to train his disciples to be witnesses, he said, here's how you read the Bible. It's not about you. (laughs) It's about me. Over and over again, Jesus kept saying, you read the scriptures as if it's about you and your self-improvement when it's about me and what I must do to rescue you. You can't fix you, (laughs) is the message of the scriptures. You can't be like David and slay Goliath and go out on the field of battle armed with your two stones against selfishness and death. You will lose that battle every time. Everyone dies. Goodbyes continue. We need a better David, Jesus, who came from heaven to earth to face down selfishness. He said no at every opportunity to give in to his own selfishness. Uh, To go and face the enemy of death, to be swallowed up by it and then come up from the grave. Three days later, to tell you that now, because I'm alive, death is just like sleeping. It's just like taking a nap. So over and over again, Jesus would say, especially in Luke 24, the scriptures are about me and the promised Messiah who's come to fix broken, selfish humans who had to die on a cross, rise on the third day, ascend into heaven, send the Spirit so that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be claimed first here, but then all over the place. So let me apply this for you. 
Jesus right now is teaching you <laughs> through me because I'm, I'm a witness, as every Christian is a witness. Anybody who has professed faith in Jesus, who speaks the truth about Jesus, you are tell it's like Jesus is making his appeal through you. A witness is a representative. But what was the effect of those who heard Jesus teach them? In Luke 24, he said, didn't our hearts burn within us when we understood, finally saw that it was about him and not me? Didn't our heart melt in awe and wonder and joy and tears when we realized that God loved me so much he would die for me while I was yet an enemy? <laughs> so when was the last time you had that experience right, where you read the scriptures or you heard them taught and it wasn't just information but your heart was melted uh, you wept in tears because this is true not just in general but for you right. when was the last time you felt like you were going to explode in joy because God loves you and every last bit of you and especially and including those parts of you that are a pain in the neck <laughs> your sin when was the last time you read the scriptures and heard Jesus say, you are a sinner, look at what I did for you. I am your king, ascended Lord. Jesus is teaching you, stop that, because that is not what it looks like to live a life of love, to live like me. Right? It's asking you, if Jesus is an ascended prophet, have you heard his voice? Has your heart been affected and changed, or is this just information? See, in the present tense, Jesus, through me, through anybody in this room who is a Christian, right, is calling you to join the community of the redeemed, the community of those who have found this joy of a God who is still like us and has all of his attention on us because of the gospel. And the effect, what it'll be, if you let Jesus teach you, you will be his witnesses. Right. It's a representative word. And, and I want you to see the grace in this. Jesus, when he says, I want to change the world, he chose the people who asked that really dumb question in verse 6. <laughs> right? Because after saying that the kingdom will go to all the nations, the first question that Jesus' followers say, isn't this kingdom just for us anyway? <laughs> right? Isn't it just going to be Jewish? When are you going to smoke the Romans and just make a physical earthly kingdom? And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to build that kind of kingdom. You're going to build my kingdom. You're going to be my witnesses. He uses these foolish people to change the world, which gives me a lot of hope. All right? It's astonishing. Jesus says, I'm not going to build my kingdom on earth. You are. You will be my witnesses. And so look at Jesus' patience here. Right? Look at his patience. Monday morning, you're going to go to your workplace. You're going to parent. Uh, you're, you're, you're going to go to school, you're going to live as Jesus' witnesses if you're in Christ. And the, the people he chooses, the, the material, are people who still make mistakes. And we need to hear that. Because of the church as Jesus' work on earth, um, one of the main reasons people don't come to church and don't come to Jesus is because of our foolishness. <laughs> The mistakes we make. Sometimes it's justified. Right? And sometimes we just feel embarrassed of our brothers and sisters who say things. And they say, I wish you wouldn't talk like that. 
Right. Look at Jesus' patience here. He says, immediately after they blow it, he says, I'm going to send my spirit and give you the power to be my witnesses, to tell others about me. Our tendency is to be embarrassed, to be ashamed. Jesus is not ashamed to make these people his witnesses. He's not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed of being gracious when he chooses his servants. He chooses people like me. Right? <laughs> so what it should do for us as witnesses is give us a lightheartedness. I hope it does. Say, what, what a wild and funny joke that God, Jesus would get his work done on earth through someone like me. I represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Me. You. And then you're saying, I'm terrified of doing this. How can I represent someone so great, so, so high? Well, Jesus says you will receive power when you get the Holy Spirit. Right? You are now his witnesses, so when you walk into a room and you start talking, when you start acting, when you just be, you are his witness. doesn't matter what you say or do if you're a... A Christian and claiming to be a Christian, people are going to interpret all of your acts as if they're saying something about Jesus. Right? So if you go to work and you do something and you don't own it, people are going to say, those Christians, they're always telling people what to do and they never, uh, you know, they never change. It's an honor. And so what Jesus says is, I'm going to equip you to do this. You need help. I'm going to send you my helper. But what I want you to do is soak in the honor of being included and that everything you're afraid of doing, the Holy Spirit is the power to do it. So lastly, your prophetic witness, like I said, Jesus teaches through you. It's, you know, what we're doing in small groups is discipling one another in order to disciple others. It's calling you to, uh, to lean in to what to Jesus teaching you. So that you can teach others. So you can speak the truth in love the way Jesus taught. And the way that's going to happen is to have your heart warmed by Jesus the prophet, who not only told you what you were like, but who gave up his, his, his life for you in love. And you will learn to speak like him. That's why Paul would say, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Right. He will give you the words in the moment to know what to say. And so be encouraged. Look at all the witnesses of Jesus in the past. We've got these disciples here who don't even know what questions to ask when they start their journey. And yet later, as you read the book of Acts, they stand courageously in front of kings, in front of important people, in front of crowds, and they speak the truth. They're witnesses. It includes all kinds of moral failures. Paul, the former terrorist, uh, Peter, the coward, James, the, the brother who hated Jesus, he didn't trust him. All these people were equipped and sent and empowered to be witnesses of Jesus. All who testify that because it is better that Jesus is up there in heaven, ruling and reigning for me, than here on earth. So Jesus has ascended and sits at the right hand of God the Father, Almighty, he has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he shall send you into the world as his witnesses by faith. Trust in him. Let's pray.
Father, we, we thank you for Jesus who's teaching us right now. And so I pray there are those here who do not yet know you, do not yet know how personal you are. I pray you would teach them. You would send your spirit to experience the joy of a prodigal being found, someone running away, being found and forgiven. And we pray for us as Christians that as we lean into the ascension, you would send us out at, with incredible joy to hear Jesus say, I am with you, and because I am for you, none can be against you. May we, be, uh, may we go with, uh, to be strong and courageous because you, our Savior, our King, is with us. So make us witnesses uh, who, who make a difference in our community. In Jesus' name, amen.